0: open your Bibles to 1 Peter 3. So we're doing a little bit different. The next couple weeks are going to be a little bit different because um, normally we've been rolling out one discipleship tool each week, and I try to preach along with that tool. And then you go to your small group and you try to practice that tool and uh, be encouraged in that, unpack that. And so that's kind of been our model this fall. We're kind of in a special uh, uh, discipleship focus uh, using Zoom A. And uh, Today, though, most of our small groups are not meeting. So, fall break—fall breaks—become the new one of the biggest holidays in America now. Did you know that? So, uh, lots of people traveling, and lots lots of our small groups are not meeting. And so, we we the tool rolling out today is the three minute testimony. That is so important that you know how to tell your story. So, we're we're gonna we're gonna put the brakes on, and, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it today. I'm gonna preach on on a passage I think relates to that today. And uh, then since most of you won't be meeting your small groups, we're going to hit it again next Sunday. And then hopefully many of you will have a chance to go to your small group. You'll have a chance to kind of give a report on that and, and practice that and, and fine-tune that. And then probably in the next month or so, we are going to periodically have people up here giving their testimony, their three-minute testimony. And so we're going to work all hard. A lot of times when you ask somebody in church to give a three-minute testimony, they thought you put a zero behind that, right? And so we're, we're going we're gonna to try to get them to, to practice. And, and you know, the same when you're talking to somebody on the street, you know. I mean, you need to be able to tell your story in a way that makes sense in, in about three minutes. And so we're going to be practicing that and hopefully fine-tuning those skills. So that's what we're doing, all right? So if you want to stand, we usually stand in this service. And we're going to read 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17, and we'll jump right in, okay? So verse 13, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that the, for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Let's pray together. Father, I'm I'm asking you, God, for great things this morning. God, I thank you that you have placed in us such an indomitable hope, God. Thank you, Father, that nothing can take that away, that no one can take that away. Father, that we have something that is more precious than gold. And Father, I, I pray that you would teach us to share that, that you would teach us to stir up our hope, that you would, God, teach us to communicate that hope to those around us. And God, I'm praying for I'm praying for a thousand people in Woodward to hear uh, a gospel testimony from the lips of the people at Lincoln Avenue in the next month. And God, I, I just ask you, God, to, to enable us, Father, to, to be witnesses not only in our Jerusalem and in our Judea and in our Samaria, but God, to the ends of the earth. God, send us. God, we want to go. We, got, we know that, that in heaven there's going to be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so, God, please let us be a part of that in one way or another. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Okay, so here's what I know about you guys. When we start thinking about uh, three-minute testimony, I'm excited because I know something about you, okay? What I know about you is you love to tell a story, okay? I already know that about you. Like, that's already in you. you. When something cool happens to you, you love to tell people about it, don't you? In fact, here's what I've learned: whenever, whenever something cool happens, whenever something awesome happens, or something interesting happens, whenever we tell that story and we do it really well, don't we? Like we even, we even have a mechanism now that Paul could not have imagined. You know, Paul could not have imagined when, when you said Facebook to Paul, he thought you were putting your Bible up to your face. Like he, he, didn't, he couldn't have imagined a mechanism where you can tell your story to, like literally, like thousands, and people do it everyday. They tell about their grocery store experience. And they tell about, you know, what happened with little Johnny when he tried to bake a cake. And they talk about, you know, what little Fido did. And and they they put, like, people love to tell their stories, right? Like, everybody has, you, you have in your family, you have legacy stories, right? Stories that get told over and over and over again in your family. We have those. When all my kids come home, that's not very often, but whenever they do all come home, man, a lot of what happens is stories, right? They tell about the time we had the bear outside of our tent in Colorado and they tell about the time that we picked up the Brazilians on the Florida highway and and they couldn't speak English and we couldn't speak Brazilian or whatever they speak in Brazil. And and, you know, like they tell those stories. We tell those stories. Like they're a part of who we are and we love to tell them and the more we tell them, the more joy we get from them. And I'm excited about knowing that you guys like to tell stories because if you're a believer here this morning, you, this is not an exaggeration, you literally have the greatest story in the universe, okay? Like like something incredible, incredible has happened to you. Like you've had an encounter with the living God, with the greatest being in all of time. You have met him and you've been joined to him and you've been transformed, like not just a little transformed. You have been eternally, fundamentally, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say, cataclysmically transform. Like God has reached inside of you, taken out your heart of stone and put it in a heart of flesh. God has done that in you. You have the Holy Spirit. You have this eternity stretched out in front of you in heaven. You have that story if you're a believer. If you don't have that story, you're not a believer. Okay, You, You may be a religious person. You may enjoy Christianity. You may like to come to church. But listen, if you don't have a story of your encounter with Jesus Christ in which he took away your sins and put his righteousness in your account, then you're not a Christian, okay? So I'm assuming many of you are Christians and so you have this story, all right? Now your story has two kind of dimensions to it, okay? It has like, the personal details, right, like you were at Falls Creek or you were at a revival or you were uh, um, with your mom, you know, by your bed at night. Or for me, it was, uh, it was I was home in the middle of the night. My parents were in Colorado uh, doing some farming, and there was a thunderstorm. And, man, I had this encounter with God in which one thing just hit me like a Mack truck. Man, you may be religious. You may have been in church. You may have even asked Jesus in your heart. But this reality, God spoke to me very clearly. You have never repented. You've never turned away from your sin, Jason. I knew that that night. I knew that clearer than I've ever known anything, that I had never, ever turned from my sin. I'd never let go of that. I'd never really trusted Jesus until that night, all right? So those are details, right? They're details about the the where and the when and the who and the, the all those things, okay? So that's one dimension, okay? The other dimension, honestly, is actually more interesting, okay? The other dimension is, What does the Bible say, okay, so the Bible has your story in it. I don't know if you realize that. What does the Bible say happened to you when you put your faith in Christ? You see, that's another part of your story that probably, I don't know about you guys, I didn't know all that happened to me when I became a Christian. like That night, like I, I I, didn't know about justification. I didn't really know about sanctification. I didn't really even know, I don't know that I knew the word repentance, honestly. I tell you that that's what hit me like a Mack truck. What hit me was this reality that you've never turned away from your sin. I don't know that I would have known the word repentance, right? So, So there's another dimension of your testimony that as you begin reading your Bible, you're like, oh man, that night or that day or that morning, you know, whenever I put my faith in Christ, this is all that happened to me. So for instance, if you turn to a passage like Ephesians 1, right? And you just begin to read it and you're like, wow, you know, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then verse four says, he chose me before before the foundation of the world that I should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. I've been adopted. Like, did you know that when you got saved, right? But like you read your Bible and you're like, that's what happened. I got adopted. I got adopted by God the Father. And if you keep reading in Ephesians 1, it talks about how you're forgiven and how you're redeemed and how you have an inheritance and how you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? And all of these things happen. So you have two dimensions to your story, right? It's like the, the personal details of how you, you know, came to know Christ, the circumstances of that. And then you also have the, the reality of what the Bible says happened inside of you. And those two merged together to make this incredible story of how you have come to know the God of the universe. Now, one of the things I love about your story, okay, is that it's not over, okay? Not only is it not over, but like, like there's this big teaser, right? That there is so much more to come, right? That That's, that's the reality of your story. I, I, I like those movies where at the end they have this little teaser and then they shut it off and it's like, oh wow, wow, Th- there's more to come, right? Have you ever seen a movie like that? A bunch of the Marvel movies are that way. They would even run the credits and then, and then after, you know, if you stayed long enough, they would pop in this scene and be like, oh man, you know, that's coming up, right? Your story has a bunch of that. It's got a bunch of guess what it's not over there's so much more to come and and if we do if we could describe that so much more that all that's coming for jason right what's ahead for me next year next month next year 10 years 100 years from now a billion years from now if we bundled all that up you know what it would be called hope okay hope right do you understand what hope is Hope is what the Bible describes as a confident expectation of good things to come. And your testimony is packed full of hope. In fact, when Peter says in this verse, 1 Peter 3.15, when he says you need to be ready to share it, he says you need to be ready to share Reason for your hope. That's how he describes your testimony. That's how he describes what happened to you. He says you need to be ready to share the reason for your hope. Now, I want us to give a little context to this verse, okay? And so what we're gonna do is I'm I'm gonna give you a little context. We're gonna frame this 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 reality of of your story, and then we're gonna talk about two things. We're gonna talk about how to stir up your hope and how to share your hope, okay? All right, so let's get a little context first. I I think that's good to do in the Bible. So so what's 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 Peter talking about here? Well, in in verse um, 13, he makes this general statement, okay? You know what a general statement is, right? Like most of the time, it's true. Okay, so so he makes this general statement. He says, "Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good?" All right. So here's the general statement: if you if you're zealous for what is good, so like if you live a life of doing good works, most of the time, people are going to give you the thumbs up. Okay, most time they're gonna they're gonna be favorable toward you. They're not they're not going to want to harm you. Okay, so so. if I were you, I'd be asking, "What exactly does zealous for good works mean?" Well, there's a lot of way we we could answer that, but why don't we just back up in Peter and see if he answers it for us? Okay, so if we back up a few verses in First Peter three, and we start reading in verse um, eight. By the way, this comes after a fantastic marriage passage, and I actually think they're really they go well together. Okay, but we're not talking about marriage today. So, but verse eight says this: Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy. Brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. I think that's a great kind of start to what does he mean by good works? Well, all those things, right? So you, you should be, if you're a compassionate person, that's what sympathy means, right? If you're compassionate toward the needs of others and you, you love them, brotherly love, you love them, you meet their needs. If you are a tended, tender-hearted person, if you're a humble person, humble means you don't, you don't make it all about you. You actually turn your attention to meeting the needs of others. If when you're reviled, you know what reviled means? It means be chewed out, okay? Any of you, any of you ever got chewed out? Just me, I got chewed out enough for all of you, so that's okay. I'm happy for you because I get chewed out a lot, all right. But it says when you're reviled, when you're chewed out, you don't revile in return. But you know what you do? You bless. Okay. So the Bible is saying if you live that way, and then then Peter could go on. He, he ke- keeps going here in verse ten. He says, "Whoever desires to love life and see good days, I have me written by that verse in the Bible." Anybody else want to love life and see good days? Still just me or just anybody else? Yeah? Hey, hey, we got a few, okay? You want to love life and see good days, Leona? Well, here, here it is. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit, turn away from evil, do good. Seek peace, pursue it, okay? So, so you see, like, there's a bunch of good works just right there, okay? So if we just take those and we say, if you are zealous for good works, okay, that's what verse 13 is saying, general principle, if you're zealous for good works, then you know what? Most time, people are going to give you the thumbs up, okay? Thumbs up. Good job. They'll be favorable to you. But. There's a big but in this passage, okay? Verse 14. But. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. See, that's going to happen sometimes. We don't like it when it does, but it is. Okay, what what did he just say? He said, in general, if you're zealous for good works, people are going to give you the thumbs up, right? But, he says, even if. It's God's will sometimes that you do everything right. You're sympathetic, you're compassionate, you get chewed out, you bless people instead. Even if that happens, sometimes you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna go hard for you. It's gonna be bad for you. You're gonna suffer. You're gonna be threatened. You're gonna be persecuted. You're gonna you're gonna be hurt. Right? And that's that's just true, isn't it? We know that's true. That's that's true, that's true all over the world, but it's even true here. But it's especially true in other places in the world, right? Where where you you may you may do some really kind good deeds, and, and the result of that is they kill you, right? And and we know that it's true because it happened to Jesus. Can you think of anybody who did more good works than Jesus? Right? I mean, Jesus, was he compassionate? Was he sympathetic? Was he tenderhearted? You know, did he did he have brotherly love? My goodness, he, he healed the sick and he he gave legs to the paralytic and sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, and he met fed the multitudes, and man. Jesus, Jesus did lots of good things, and you know what they did? They killed him. They murdered him. They tortured him. They, they, they spat upon him and falsely accused him. And, and 1 Peter 2 says he's our example. If you back up a chapter in 1 Peter 2, 20, it says, For what credit is this? When you sin, you're beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer, see, that's going to happen sometimes. You're going to do good and suffer for it, and you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called for this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued in just, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, it happened to Jesus, and Peter's saying it's going to happen to you. But here's the interesting thing. Okay, so, so he says, if you suffer for, for righteousness, okay, notice verse 14, he said, you'll be blessed. What? Like like I did good works and it turned around and people were really cruel to me and mean to me and they hurt me. And and what do you have to say about that, Peter? He says, Man, you're gonna be blessed. You're gonna be blessed. And and then he, he starts out the next verse or the ends of the verse saying, Have no fear of them, no be nor be troubled. So so man, it if you if you were sympathetic and compassionate and full of good works and it turned around that it came really bad for you, then you should know you'll be blessed and you should not fear and you should not be troubled. All right, now how in the world does that make sense? Only because we are the people that have the story that's packed full of hope. Okay? You see, that verse doesn't make sense unless unless we remember. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I, I'm the person that's got all of this hope, right? I'm, I'm the person that has this hope. In fact, he goes on to you, you need to stir it up and you need to share it. Okay, so verse 15, he says, always being ready to present a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Okay, we've, we've, we're the people with hope. We're the people that look ahead into our future. And man, we see some spectacular things that are coming for us. That's how you're able to endure that. It's because you have hope. Right, now now let's let's stop. Let's slow down a little bit. Maybe some of you are still like, okay, this hope thing's still fuzzy. Okay. So so if you're thinking of hope like Hallmark cards, you know, it's like I made out my Christmas wish list and, and that's what I'm hoping for. That's not that's not a biblical kind of hope. A biblical kind of hope is this is who God is, this is his character, and this is what he said he's gonna do, and I can bank on that. All right, that's that's biblical hope. Biblical hope is I know who God is and I know what he said, and so man. I am certain that this is going to come for me, that this is going to happen to me, that this is in my future. And when you have hope, it just changes you. Like it it changes how you get chewed out when you have hope, right? It changes how, how you endure hard things, how you struggle. It just changes you. It changes your whole demeanor. And I, honestly, not just in Christianity, but anywhere. One of the things I noticed about my kids is that, that when we pull up, in the van and we throw it in park and we get out in the parking lot of Disney World, their demeanor is different than when we pull up, throw it in park, and get out at school. Like, like it's different, right? They're different. There's like, are you the same kids, you know? Like at Disney World, there's like this, this expectation, right? There's this excitement. Everybody's bopping around. Man, you should, I'll have to video it for you. When I bring them into school, it's like a funeral dirge, you know? It's like, who died? You know? They're not confident that good things are coming, right? Like hope changes, like that's how hope changes you. Like, and, and it ought to change us, right? Because again, we're, we're the people that have this story of this hope. And, and so we have this expectation of what God is gonna do, of what he's gonna do in me, what he's gonna do in my family, what he's gonna do for eternity. And, and it's all, it's all rooted in the reality that Jesus is alive. If there were no resurrection, If you have this incredible story of Jesus coming, doing all kinds of miracles, dying on a cross, and then he's just dead. Like, that's it. All right, if he's dead, then what's he going to do for me tomorrow? What's he going to do for me next week? What's he going to do? How's he going to help me in eternity? Well, he's not. He's dead. But my friends, he's not dead. Do you see that? He's not. He is alive. That's why, that's why 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You see, your hope is alive. It's not Hallmark card hope. It, this, is, this is hope that is, is founded in the living Jesus Christ who is unstoppable, who came out of the grave, who is alive forevermore, and who has said, I will do everything that I said I will do. That's for you. That's in your story. You're connected to that hope. And so Peter is urging you that whether whether you're zealous for good and no one harms you or whether you're zealous from good and everybody attacks you, he says you don't have to fear or be troubled either way. You're blessed. And what you need to do is two things. Stir up your hope and share your hope. Okay? So let's talk about the first one. How good are you at stirring up your hope, okay? So I, I, ho- I hope you've learned that skill. Uh, Peter wants you to learn that skill. He wants you to learn how, how, to, how to fuel that hope inside of you, okay? And so, so here's the way he describes it in 1 Peter 3, uh, 15. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Okay, that's an interesting phrase. It's interesting that lots of Bibles translate this very differently. Some Bibles say reverence Christ in your hearts. Um, others say um, sanctify the Lord in your hearts the SV says you know make him holy okay all, all of them mean the same thing it's basically this it's it's your heart gets full of stuff doesn't it like like sometimes your heart's full of fear sometimes it's full of dread sometimes it's full of disappointment you ever had that sometimes you' you're just like discouraged and disappointed and, and that's what's in your heart and, and Peter's like hey you stop that you you make you you sanctify you honor Christ you put him in the priority throne in your heart. I actually think that Peter is actually quoting Isaiah. Probably not a for sure. Like I can tell you this for sure, but a lot of other people think that, and so whenever other people think it, I'm like, okay, I'm courageous enough to say it. I think he's doing it. I, th- I think he's quoting Isaiah eight, and so let me give you it real quickly. Not have a lot of time here. Let me give you the story of Isaiah eight. All right, in Isaiah eight, there's this king, King Ahaz, and he finds out some bad news. He finds out there's two other kings, two other armies, two other nations that are gunning for him. They're gonna, they're coming after him. They're gonna, they're gonna try to take him over and kill him and kill, kill all the people in Judah. All right, so, so that's bad. News news, right? And Ahaz is reacting a lot like we would react if we knew that two countries were gunning for us. He's kind of falling apart. He's falling apart in his office there. And Isaiah, the prophet comes in, he says, or he says, Ahaz, you stop falling apart. You stop that right now, okay? And here's what he tells him in Isaiah 8. He says in Isaiah 8, 13, he says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. See, Isaiah comes in, he rebukes Ahaz. He says, Ahaz, You're all twittipated about about these two kings. You you got all this fear and dread in your heart. You need to stop that, and you need to make God holy in your heart. What that means is you don't fear him. You don't don't fear these kings. You fear God. They're they're not the big deal. God is the big deal. And so what we learn from that is that what it means to make Christ holy in your heart, it, it means that you put him in the central spot, like what he says matters, right? So the reason that's really important is Sometimes people are going to say things about you that are discouraging, right? They're going to say you don't matter. They're going to say you're worthless. You're going to say you're stupid. You're you're an idiot for believing what you believe. You're an idiot for doing what you do. They're, they're going to say things like that. And what it means to sanctify, to make Christ holy in your hearts, is you push all that out of your heart, and you put Jesus right in the center. You say, this is who I'm listening to. This, this, this is the call I'm taking, all right? I know we got lots of OSU fans in our church, and so... I want you to go back a year, okay? So go back one year, okay? It's one year ago, okay? That's necessary because the illustration doesn't make sense if you don't go back a year, okay? Let's go back a year. And and you've been watching football a long time. I know some of you have. And you're like, man, I got some ideas for my team. I If Gundy could just hear from me, it's, it's, it, it, things would really change, you know? So you beep, 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 you call up OSU. You don't have his number. You call OSU. And you're like, yes, yes, I'd like to talk to Coach Gundy. I got some ideas for the football team. Well, at the same time, same time, another call comes in. You know, they got multiple lines. Another call comes in. It's old t Boone, And he says, yeah, I'd like to talk to Coach Gundy. I got some ideas. Whose call is Gundy going to take? He's going to take t boons isn't he? You know why? Because he had set T-Boon apart as holy in his heart, okay? In the same way, right? Like, that's what I'm telling you. You got, you got all this other stuff coming at you. And then you got what Jesus has said. To set him as holy means I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat this as the important thing. Jesus, what he said, what he's promised, what he's told me. That's, that's what I'm going to. I'm, I'm not taking these other calls. They're not important. This is what's important. It's what Jesus says about me. OK, so that's that's how you that's how you stir up your hope. And so so when Peter's saying, man, if, if you're if you're reviled, if you're if you suffer for righteousness sake, don't don't fear, don't be troubled. You're going to be blessed. Why are you going to be blessed? Because in your heart, you're going to honor Christ as Lord as holy. OK, and then you're, that's that's how you stir up your hope. And then you're going to be ready. OK, this is important. You're going to be ready. OK, be prepared to share, to give a defense for the hope that is in you. I really think, I really think that there are a lot of Christians who are this happy in Jesus, okay. But they would be this happy in Jesus if they would start sharing their hope. They, man, there's something about that. There's just, I, I told you something about sharing a story. Like, can you imagine some like really cool thing happen to you? Like, like you're 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 in a you're in a commercial airplane, you know, flying somewhere, and and you know the door falls off and you fly out and you had a one of those little blankets in your in your purse, and you pull the deal out and tie it up, and you you make your own little parachute, and you sail down. You know, can you imagine never telling anybody about that? You know, it's like, dude, I I've got blown out of a plane and survived by my blankie. You know, like can you imagine never telling anybody about that? What in the world, what kind of crazy thing is that? All right, well you just you met the God of this universe, and He has promised you this eternity. How can you not tell people? Like, like Peter's saying, you don't know how to fuel your hope. You don't know how to survive when, when, you, got, when you have these voices coming at you and you're, you're doing good things and suffering. But you know how do you survive? We start stirring up your hope and you start sharing your hope. Man, at the, I, I love it that when Peter describes the gospel, he describes it as the hope that's in you. I, that's, that's, his, that's the way he talks about the gospel. And that's what it is. At its core, the gospel is your confidence, your expectation that you're not going to go to hell. For those of you in this room who knew at one time you were going to hell, who knew at one time that you were going to be punished forever for your sins under the wrath of God in a place of total darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth, and now you're not going That is incredible. Now you know you have confidence, you have certainty because of the gospel that you will not go to hell. Not only will you not go to hell, but that Jesus is transforming you. He's making you different. He's breaking the bonds of sin in your life, and you're going forward to better things. You have this incredible hope in your life, and that's a, that's powerful. And, and I, I want you to I want you to realize I don't know what you think of when when you hear someone encourage you to share your testimony or share your faith or witness or whatever you'd call that, give a gospel presentation. I don't know what you think of, but I want you to see that Peter is is, is very clear here. He is not talking about defending a position. He's talking about giving a reason for your hope. See, I, I think when a lot of people, when, when when they think of witness, they think of, hey, man, there's a bunch of people out there that are wrong, and I'm right, and I need to go tell them that I'm smart and you're dumb, and you need to listen to me, Okay? I mean, literally, that's the way a lot of people approach the gospel. It's like, man, you believe dumb things, and I believe smart things, and, and so I want to tell you how dumb. I, I just wonder if we had, a, if we had an opportunity this afternoon for for everybody in this room that's a Christian, just to share your testimony. I wonder how many would say well, here's how I got saved, Pastor. This guy came up to me and told me I was really dumb and I needed to, you know, he was smart and I need to listen to him, you know? And so I was like, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus, you know? I, I just I doubt there's very many, okay? But Peter says, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be ready to share your hope. I want you to be ready to share your certainty that you know, according to 1 Peter, you have an inheritance that's waiting you for you an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. You need to be ready to share that you know you're going to be forgiven and, and you're righteous with Jesus' righteousness and you have this joy that, that is inexpressible, Peter calls it, and fill with glory and it's coming more for you. And you have this confidence that you won't always be in this broken, weak, sick, struggling body, but there's a new body, a new resurrection, a new heavens, a new earth. You're sure of that. Share that hope. Share that hope. It's it's not about telling people they're wrong. It's about saying, man, this is what I have in Christ. And then here's here's maybe one of the coolest parts. This is what I have, and God wants you to have it too. Isn't that neat? Like you can share all your hope, and then, then you can finish that up by saying, and, and. God wants you to have. He told me to tell you so that you would have it. That makes the story even better, doesn't it? That makes that makes good things even better. When it's not like, hey, this is all the great things that happened to me, but you can't have it. I mean, that, that's those are not as good as stories. Do you, you guys get Christmas cards from people? Have you ever have you ever had a Christmas card that was sort of like this? Okay, so sort of like this. Merry Christmas, to everybody! As you can see from our picture. All of our children are models. Johnny has been accepted with a full-ride scholarship into Harvard. We enjoyed watching freshman Billy, quarterback for Ohio State. It was a real treat when Susie won the National Spelling Bee for the third year in a row. And our little Katie, she just turned three. Everybody loved it when she recited the entire book of Deuteronomy from memory at her third birthday. And by the way, the castle in the background of our picture it's our new summer bungalow. Merry Christmas to all and good cheer. Right? You ever get one of those? And, and you're like, like, the Bible says, Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice. So, like, like it's cool. But, like, I can't get my family together with their shirts clean for a picture. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, like, all right, you got that. But it's, it's, I don't got it, you know? That's not your story with Jesus. Every incredible, awesome eternal thing you have, God has told you, go tell other people they can have that too. Wow, that's amazing, isn't that awesome? That's your story. That's the hope of the gospel that you have that's available at all. So here's, here's what Peter says to do. He says, you need to be ready. You need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. So there's lots of ways to do that. You, you could you could look in the Bible. Did you know that there's lots of testimonies in the Bible? I read you one of my favorites, okay? One of my favorites is, is in Acts 26 where Paul gives his testimony to King Agrippa. Can't read the whole thing. Don't have time. It's 12.07, okay? But I can read the first and the last, okay? So in the first of it, here's what I want you to point out. I, he starts talking about, you'll notice in your in your bulletin, in your three-minute guide, you know, you want to tell a lot of times who you were before, who you are now, kind of the before and after deal. Paul does a little bit of that. He says, my manner of life, from My youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. See, so he's telling who he used to be. And now he says, I stand here on trial because of look at this my hope. I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, in which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day for this hope. I am three times, I'm accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God would raise the dead? See, he starts out by saying, man, I'm gonna tell you my story, but my story is all wrapped up in this hope that I now have that you can have as well. And you know how he finishes? How would you finish if you got to give your testimony to a king? Here's how Paul finishes. In verse uh, 26, he says, For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has happened, escaped his notice, and from this, uh, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, With a short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am see what Paul says? He says, absolutely. I'm telling you about my hope. Why? Because I want you to have what I have. So, I think we ought to obey exactly what Peter told us to do. I think we should always be prepared, right? We should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you. I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. I'm going to ask you, first of all, to think through your your testimony, okay? Think through your your, your three-minute version. I know you got a 30-minute version, and by golly, God's gonna enable you to share that someday, okay? That's really cool. But I'd love for you to have a three-minute one, too. I'd love for you to be able to have one you can slip into a conversation. And I think you need to practice that. I don't think you wait for the conversation. I think you practice it. I think you be ready. I think that's what just what Peter said, be ready, right? So I, what I'd love for you to do is in your small groups, in your family, man, start, start at the family. Start at the family level and, and, and start sharing Start sharing your testimony. Start going around the family. Hey, tell, tell me your three-minute testimony. Tell me your hope. Tell me what God has done. Tell me the encounter you've had. You, you know what makes me really sad when I do funerals? I'll do funerals for people, and I'll, I'll sit around, and I'll talk to the family, and, and I'll ask them, and you know, was, was mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever it was, were they a Christian? They're like, oh, absolutely. I'm like, well, when did they come to Christ? I don't know. I don't know. We never talked about that. Well, you should talk about it. Your family should know. Your kids should know. They should know your testimony. All right? So I want you to practice. And then here's the second part of that. Here's what we're praying. We're praying that over the next month, a thousand people in Woodward, Oklahoma, our little spot here, would hear a personal testimony of the hope of the gospel from somebody that attends Lincoln Avenue. A thousand. You're thinking, a oh, thousand that's really not that's really not that much. Right? There's five to six hundred people who attend regularly at Lincoln Avenue. Okay, so if over the next month, if even half of those share four times, Logan's gonna share his probably once a day. So all right, so he's he gonna he gonna hit the thirty mark, right? So like if 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 others share two or three or four times, man, like literally, guys, this, we could do that. A thousand people could hear the gospel, could hear about hope in Woodward from us. Let's do that. Let's do it. Let's let's ask God to help. Father, we just um, ask you, God, to, God, just enable us to to tell your story. God, to tell how you brought us into your story. God, help us to tell the the story of Jesus and of his perfect life and of his sacrificial death and of his offer of salvation. and God, I pray that you might rev up our hope. God, help us to set apart Jesus as holy in our hearts. And God, enable us, Father, to freely share, to be ready to share of the hope that's in us. Father, we we ask that you would help us to reach that thousand mark, God. Help us, Father, to, to proclaim your majesty to the people around us, to the ends of the earth. God, we ask it in Jesus' name.